thank you guys so much for coming back to another episode of Beyond Deconstructing. Today's guest, I'm super excited to um, continue our chat. We had a little pre-chat just so you guys know. So this is a continuation. So if we if we sound kind of familiar, that's why. Steven, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are. Take it away. Hello, my name is Steven. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and what more for an intro? I'm 39 years old. I'm white, non-binary. I go by he, him, they, them. Um, I'm the oldest of seven kids and I'm super excited to be on your podcast. I'm a little nervous, but like you mentioned, we chatted last week and I've been kind of depressed and like my executives are not functioning, if you will. And I almost canceled today, but I was thinking about our conversation last week and it was just so energizing talking to you. I was like, I, I'm going to have fun today. So I'm excited. Yay. Well, I'm, I'm sad to hear that you haven't been feeling that great, but I am happy that you were able to, you know, Get the strength to, and the energy to come and join me today because I really did enjoy our conversation as well. And I was looking forward to this. So thank you selfishly that <laughs> you didn't cancel. Of course. Um, and um, for for my audience, they may be new. They may not know you. I would love to give you an opportunity to share with us your journey with understanding your neurodivergence, your autism and your uh, your current journey with unmasking. Yeah, it is quite a journey. Um, and thank you for kind of giving me the space to share about it. I'm really excited. Um, so I mentioned in my like pre-intro that I'm the oldest of seven kids. I feel like that's such a large part of my identity. I don't know why, but being the oldest when um, like my parents were very young when they had me. So I feel like a lot of my needs were kind of going unmet or met by myself. Um, just because as like the siblings come down, like some of them have higher needs and like the the more functioning kids just kind of get like <laughs> left to their own devices. Um, so I always did really well in school, but I never did like any homework. Um, we also grew up very religious. So any kind of talk of neurodivergence was kind of quashed at that level because we don't really believe in that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really sad. I have, um, there's a, a family member that I have who has a, a son who's really young and I'm pretty sure he's on the autism spectrum just based on like how he's developing. He's a toddler, but um, they like brought him to church and have been praying over him instead of like pursuing doctors. So that's kind of the space where I come from. I'm also very poor. I've been like complaining about capitalism for, I don't know, the past two years. Um, I've hated capitalism for as long as I've known what it was, but I've really been like shouting from the rooftops about how awful it is because I'm in this space where I lost my job recently. Um, and of course this is me. So I'm like self-centered. Um, but like being poor, it's really hard to access help even a diagnosis or like treatment or even education about like some of the the symptoms I've been experiencing. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like growing up, I knew that I was different. I always felt very left out. Um, and my response to that was kind of to withdraw. Uh, and so I have always been kind of depressed and that's been my primary diagnosis for like my entire life. Um, so growing up religious and poor, we didn't have, uh, any experience with like going to college or like what happens after high school. So I also am terrified of asking for help for anything. I don't want you to think that I don't know things and I'm definitely working on that now. Um, I found it's okay to not know things because you can ask and learn them and then you know them and it's great. Um, so all that to say, I went to a college that if I had to do it over again, I probably would not have gone there. It was a college that I knew through, my church. Um, and I ended up getting kicked out after three years for being gay. Um, so being gay is part of my identity as well. Um, I am cisgender or non-binary. I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like for me. But anyway, um, being in college was very difficult because it's more self-paced. Um, and I never did any homework. I'm really awful at like um, structuring my own time, making sure that I get all the things done that I need to get done. Um, really bad with um, like putting things off, the procrastination. Um, and in college, you don't have like teachers who are being like, well, I know you're 
really smart. You're just not trying your hardest. So I'm going to pass you even though you didn't do that homework. Um, and that's kind of been my, my life is just being like grandfathered in because people are like, well, I can tell that you are smart and you know what you're doing, but you just are lazy and you don't do the homework. Oh my God, I'm lazy. I've been called lazy my entire life. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, so then really my, um, I kind of struggled. I left school. Um, I'm still trying to finish my bachelor's degree almost 20 years later. Um, and I just started working and being in a corporate space. That's kind of where I spent most of my adult life. And I've always felt like everybody around me has received some kind of script, like we're in a play and I just didn't get it. And so I'm having to like improv and I don't know the rules that they're following. And so sometimes like the lines that I throw out there aren't right. Um, and so I've kind of always struggled with that, but I have been super high masking and I pick up on the rules fairly quickly. Um, and so, I mean, obviously there's always the ones that like, I think I'm like doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I get dinged by like, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to say that thing to that person. Um, so my corporate life, I feel like that's been the like the majority of, I, I, we spend so much of our lives working that like, that's most of my experiences at work, like with learning who I am and how I operate, how I function, what I need to function. Um, and so most recently, 2021. So I've been saying last year, but now we are in a new year. So it's <laughs> two years ago, I found myself in this job where I was working full-time remote um, during the pandemic. I was struggling with depression, with ex executive dysfunction. Um, and I have tried a lot of different things for depression. I've been on pretty much every antidepressant and I never seem to have... Um, really any relief like it's okay for a little while and in retrospect i think when i first start the medication i'm usually hopeful that hey this thing's gonna work out and so that will naturally like lift the depression a little bit but it's not yeah. the meds and so then they just stop working because it's like it's me and my mood and my you know so i've always struggled with that um, so I was so depressed that I decided to go to, I've done intensive outpatient programs. I've never been inpatient. That's terrifying to me. Um, maybe I should be at some point. I don't know. But um, so in the fall of 2021, I took a um, FMLA from work to do ECT. Um, and I know you and I talked about that, but just in case anybody's unfamiliar with ECT, it stands for um, electroconvulsive therapy and it's uh, for severe depression. And basically, they induce a seizure by introducing electricity to the brain. Um, they put you under for the thing. And supposedly, the seizures are supposed to help with depression. Um, and they found it very uh, effective for some people. It wasn't as effective for me. I found it was helpful in kind of snapping me out of the executive dysfunction and get, getting me moving again. But it didn't really improve my mood mm -hmm. that much. Um, but I couldn't work. I couldn't drive. Um, so I was just had a lot of free time on my hands and I turned to TikTok and really that's kind of where I started to hear other people talking about experiences that they had that were so similar to experiences that I've had. Um, and not just experiences, but the way that our brains operate, like mm -hmm. people sharing things about like how my thinking is working. And I'm like, my thinking works like that too. And I will share with my friends and they're like, oh, that's weird. I've never heard of that. Um, and so I really started to see myself in these like neurodivergent stories on TikTok. Um, and yours actually was uh, the things that you say about like working in corporate space as a neurodivergent person, like that is my experience to a T. I have always felt left out. I've always felt like I just don't belong. And I'm always like searching for my people. Um, and so the first step was an ADHD diagnosis, which was incredibly helpful. Um, I, I had one really good week in the fall where like my relationships were working out. I had just started ADHD meds and I felt like somebody had performed spring cleaning on my brain where like it before it felt like it was crumpled up papers, all a mess in there, but somebody like smoothed them out, organized them. They're all in like drawers, easy to find. Um, so it was like a really great week that I had. Uh, then my boyfriend broke up with me and I lost my job and, um, but the ADHD diagnosis was incredible for explaining like how I've struggled in like a structured corporate job because mm -hmm. a lot of things are structured for the holistic brain and for like non-neurodivergent or neurotypical people. Um, so that's really 
So with the depression, ECT, I found kind of my people on TikTok, and I started to really think about that a little bit more. I did a lot of reading. Um, I read one of my favorites was um, Unmasking Autism by Dr. Devin Price, and we talked about that one. It's so good. Um, but also their book before that, um, Laziness Does Not Exist, that it just helped me understand where I'm at right now in my life. So being masking in work, masking in life has led to burnout. And so I'm at the point where I have a hard time masking now because I've done it so much and I'm just so tired. I'm exhausted. Um, I don't want to play the games where we have to like talk around things and like figure out what you're trying to say with the words because you don't want to say what you're meaning because it's rude to say something directly when I think it's actually more polite to tell me what you mean instead of making me play this guessing game with you. But thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's kind of where I am. Um, I also, in addition to the ADHD, um, autism has been kind of a part of my story in a really like tertiary way. Like I had a therapist in my early 20s tell me um, that he thought that I met the criteria for, uh, at that time, it was Asperger's. And I remember being offended by that and like telling my friends and family, like, you will never believe what my therapist told me. And I was thinking like autism or Asperger's was like a, um, like I should be offended by that. <laughs> but it really, like I kind of internalized it and I still think about that. Um, and the reason that he said that is because I have a very like, uh, a narrow definition of right and wrong or um, an overdeveloped sense of justice, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really hard for me to see things like in gray spaces and very like black or white. Um, even when I'm trying to like think through like things are not actually black and white. There are gray spaces. Somehow the gray spaces end up getting categorized categorized as like black or white in my head because it's so <laughs> hard to move away from that. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I've had many people over the years tell me like, oh, I think you might be autistic. And some people will say it like as a kind of a dig. And some people are like, well, yeah, I think you really meet the criteria. Um, and actually this past weekend, I spent some time with my sister and we were kind of reminiscing about she and I, she's 18 months younger than me. So she's like the next one down in the, in the seven. Um, and we lived together in our twenties. We would party a lot. And we were kind of reminiscing the other night about like what that was like. And some of the things that she was saying, I was like, yeah, I should have really seen that. Like she was like, you really didn't have a filter. You would just like say things to people. And like, I've learned to have a filter since then, but it's just really funny to look back and be like, oh yeah, that was my neurodivergence. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's where I am. And currently like unmasking, I'm kind of looking for work. Um, and I've been having a really hard time because it's just really hard to get a job out there, especially for a neurodivergent person who may not feel comfortable going to the office every day or working like a set nine to five shift. And the hardest thing for me is that some of the, the structure around having a job in corporate life is arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. Like for my job, you don't need me in there at 9am. I could be there at 11 and nobody would know the difference, but because everybody else gets in there at nine, we all have to get there at nine. And that's <sighs> just a silly example, but like, I just want someone to tell me, why are we doing this? And in the past, usually when I ask those questions, the answer is, well, that's how we've always done it. And that to me is not a good answer. It's um, not. Yeah, so that's kind of where I am. Um, still struggling with like unmasking and trying to figure out my identity. And I have the ADHD diagnosis. I was just talking to a friend recently too about this podcast and I was like really excited. Um, and I am self-diagnosed on the autism spectrum. I consider myself high masking. Um, I don't love the term Asperger's, but if that were still like in use, I think that would describe me. Mm -hmm. um, and my friend was like, well, the point of diagnosis is that a professional is telling you. And I was like, well, self-diagnosis is valid. Like I know my brain better than a doctor would. If I'm talking to a doctor, they only know like the mask that I'm putting on. They know the answers that I'm giving them. They don't understand the process in my brain that's coming up with those answers. And like the process that to me is what makes you like neurodivergent is how your brain is actually working. So yeah. 
I've practiced for uh, almost 40 years to like, I've seen other people being asked questions and they come out with the answer. So the mechanism is mechanism in my brain is wired to like come out with that same answer <laughs> to like fit in. And so like being diagnosed is a little weird. So he, my, and this is my best friend, but he was like, you, um, he just doesn't agree with the diagnosis and was like, it's a, a a lot of balls to go on a podcast for neurodivergent people. Wow. Um, yeah. And I talk about that because it's not like other like physical ailments, although even there's a lot of medical gaslighting for like physical disabilities and ailments as well. Nice. Um, and it's just like a really uh, like ableist and kind of privileged point of view to think that like medicine is the like, the ultimate authority, especially in a capitalist society where to get a diagnosis, you have to have money, you have to have like connections to the right um, providers and all of all of that good stuff. So yeah, wow. So it's, it's a process. <laughs> Absolutely a process. And oh my goodness, I I thank you for sharing with my audience your story. I know you you alluded to, we've, we've spoken before and obviously we follow each other on TikTok. So I know a little bit about your story and the whole time I'm always just sitting there like, oh my God, did we live parallel right. lives? Yes. <laughs> like, especially when it comes to like the work environment and you touched on so many great things, especially when it comes to like capitalism and our society and how our society disables us in a lot of ways. Like yeah. if you don't have a job, you don't have insurance. And if you don't have insurance, you don't even have a chance of getting a diagnosis if you wanted to get one. And then even if you tick off those first three boxes, if you are like you and I, people have been masking for over 30 years. It's so hard to drop that mask, especially when you are in situations where you don't feel safe, you don't feel comfortable, you don't know what's going on. It's this automatic kind of trauma response to fall back into the habits of not being true to ourselves. And so I um actually I don't envy you at all with being looking for work. Um this is something that I haven't really announced yet, but I, you know, to everyone, I just quit my job. Um and I am not looking for work immediately because firstly I need time to actually decompress after all of this. But also I don't think I could ever go back to working in a traditional corporate structure. Everything about it, from the hierarchical nature to the, you know, the things we just do because we do it, don't make any sense. They are illogical and they are only there because they perpetuate a system. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, why? I'm, I'm such a big why person. I need to know the why behind the what. And that got me in trouble so many times. I'm sure you can speak to this, like, and you kind of touched on it already. Like, as soon as you ask, that one little question, why? All of a sudden, you're a troublemaker. You're a dissenter. You don't know how to fall in line. You don't know how to be a team player. Mm. Team player. <laughs> That's the thing. <sighs> and like, I've recently um, noticed I've been struggling with some sensory issues too. Like, I remember getting kind of a, a not great performance review. Um, and my boss was like, well, when we're in meetings, you're usually like on your computer, you're not engaged with the rest of the team. Um, and like, you're kind of apart from us. And it was weird to get that feedback. Cause I was like, I feel like I'm part of the team when I'm in meetings. And if I'm not in my computer, I'm like taking notes for the team or like researching something that someone just brought up to see like the feasibility of that great idea I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like, picking up arbitrary things to to judge your performance based on, but it's not judging the output. And what drives me crazy is that it seems like a lie to me that we are in a meritocracy. And <laughs> a lot of people have bought that lie. Like if I work hard, if I do what I'm supposed to do, I will be the CEO. And I've met a lot of CEOs and some of them are kind of dumb. And I <laughs> don't think... You know what I mean? Like not everybody that's in a position of power has earned that position, but that's, that's the idea that we all have that, that they did earn it. And then if we work hard, we could earn that too. Um, And I, it's just not true. It's so damaging because 
You're exactly right. Like most people who reach those levels of success, especially in this system, are unremarkable. But what they are able to do is play the game well and be in the right rooms and kiss the right butts to Mm -hmm. put them in this position. But because of the way our system is, we equate a title with um, this certain level of ability. It's like, oh, well, if you're a CEO, then you must be X, Y, and Z. And then no one questions it. And But then when someone like us questions it, that's why we're seen as such a threat. And we make people so uncomfortable because they're like, why are you questioning it? And then it's like, you're, you're questioning why I'm questioning it as opposed to just answering the question. Me asking this question isn't the problem. The problem is the thing that was highlighted by me asking this question. But that makes you uncomfortable. And that disrupts the system that Everyone knows, like you were going back to the script that everyone got, but the part of the script that you're not supposed to say is that you're not supposed to say. It's kind of like Fight Club. Like the first rule of Fight Club is that there is no Fight Club or you don't talk about Fight Club. So that's like the neurotypical thing is like the first rule of being a neurotypical is we don't talk about all of these dumb things that we all follow and adhere and make everyone adhere to. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And just the like upholding of social constructs, like your title is imaginary. That doesn't like it doesn't match up to like a tangible object. We all just decided, okay, CEO is a title. That person is at the top. And we just, it doesn't mean they have the best ideas. It just means that we all decided to like, it's, it's like money. And here I go on my anti-capitalism rant. <laughs> okay, bring it on. It's like we build our lives around this imaginary thing that we all just agree holds value. But like, hey, when the economy collapses, where are we going to be? <laughs> like that number on your bank account screen doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. It is all arbitrary. That's the whole inspiration behind my name, Deconstructing Neuro, is because I realized that all of this is a construct and we need to deconstruct it. And there's multi layers to it. There's like we touched on masking. Um, we can touch on intersectionality, being queer, me being a woman, me being a person of color, like all of those things, like add even more layers to where we fall within this, like hierarchical system that really is arbitrary and um for me the biggest thing like you kind of mentioned with my my earlier stuff was a lot of me complaining about my office life um and that was more so me just like having these realizations that connecting these dots from being smack dab in the middle of this situation and realizing my brain does not work like these people's you know, I'm not speaking the same language. It's like we both, we all speak English technically, but like we're not speaking the same language. And um, yeah, it's it's because I just didn't understand that people don't see me as another person that's equal to them. They see me and ascribe a value within the system, and then they expect me to play that role. Totally, and it. Um that reminds me of what you said earlier about like asking questions is I'm a very curious person. And I think curiosity is such a valuable trait. I think if you are curious, that's how you get knowledge. That's how you ask questions. That's how you, you know, that's how we get to change is by being curious. Can this be better? Is this functioning? Um, What's the deal with that? You know, and people misconstrue curiosity a lot of the times as threat Because sometimes when people ask questions like, oh, why do I have to do that? They're assuming you're asking because you don't want to do that or because you don't think you should have to or whatever, when really, I just want to know why. (laughs) (laughs) I will do it if it's a good reason. You know what I mean? Like, I'm happy to play my part. I just... I just want to know. I just don't understand why there are so many things that have to go unspoken, so many things that are just implied. And then I go off the deep end with like trying to figure out like what people mean. Cause like you could mean six different things by that statement. You just said, which one is it? Um, yeah. It takes yeah, way too much brain trouble. power. Yeah. To me, I feel like it takes way too much brain power to communicate the way neurotypical people want us to communicate. And, um, I know we all say, well, it comes so naturally to neurotypical people. I don't think it does. I think that they pick up on it 
and they internalize it and they perform. But I don't think that it comes easily to them. I just don't think that they realize that they're doing it consciously. Like, again, it's like the unspoken, unwritten rule that they all follow, but they don't realize they're doing it. And then when we ask a question, especially why, it just is like, well, I never thought of why I'm doing this. This is why it's so uncomfortable right now, because I'm being confronted with something I never thought of before or the the thinking about that is making me uncomfortable because now I realize I do something every single day and I devote time and energy to something that literally makes no sense and serves no purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And the uh, two major points, <laughs> I'm like, which way do I go? Um, so the first thing is that you're so right. Like it doesn't serve any, it serves a few people for us all to operate this way, but it's not like all holistic people benefit from this way of communicating or this way of behaving, like talking around things and just not being direct. Um, like I, there was one role I had, I was kind of new to this job and I was partnering with this woman who I kind of read as holistic. She didn't tell me her, like anything <laughs> about her brain. So I don't know, but um, my assumption is that she was, but she was so anxious because of all these vague requests she's getting. Like we had a request come in from like our boss's boss's boss. So somebody who has like a lot of organizational importance and they sent this vague request and she was like, well, they could mean this, this or this. And so she was ready to do three different things just in case. And I'm like, why can't we just ask what she means? <laughs> she was like, no, you can't respond. She's, she wants the thing. Like, well, I can't give her the thing until she tells me what the thing is that she wants. So like, it makes perfect sense to me. And I'm like, we could save a lot of time and effort and anxiety and just like, you know, insanity yeah. by just asking a question. But then the questions get interpreted as threats and you know it's, it's crazy <laughs> and the other thing is that one thing that has taken me a long time to learn and it's really basic but like my experience is not universal there is no mm-hmm. universal experience and so when we build like constructs around a company like um like a self-made man if you start at the bottom and you work your way like you will eventually get to the top that may be somebody's experience, but that doesn't happen for everybody. Otherwise, we'd all be CEOs. And so it's like trying to, and that's a like separate from the kind of work experience. But I really love that you're doing this podcast because we need like diverse representation because there is no one universal experience. Like, yeah, if we identify as on the autism spectrum, we do have similar experiences, but it's not going to be the same for every autistic person either, you know, like there are similarities and differences, but that's why it's so great to just be able to talk openly and directly about things because that's how we learn that our experiences aren't universal. Perfect. Perfect point. I, I can't, that's one of the biggest things that, um, annoys me about neurotypical communication going back to like why I say it takes so much brain power. Cause to your point, one statement can have six different interpretations. And then, and because our experiences aren't universal, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You can have a different, you know, interpretation for what you're saying. But because of that, why am I wrong for asking you to clarify it? Why would, why is it more socially acceptable for me to walk around confused for me to go and huddle up with my teammates and talk about how much we can't stand that this person is so vague and use our energy to do that? As opposed to just being like, hey, you wanted this report and you said this, but could you clarify if you want it this way or not? Because if the if the point of all of this is for us to complete a task and to do it a certain way, then why can't we just get all of the information that we need to do it that way? Because that's not the point. The Mm -hmm. point is to perpetuate the system. I am in a position of power to tell you what to do. So you as someone who is under me, it's your job to serve me in some kind of way. I don't care how you get it done, just get it done. And that to me, once I figured it out, it like blew my mind because I'm a very logical person. And a lot of autistic people, we are very logical. We need to understand the why behind the what. We're not we're not into blind compliance Mm -hmm. and so 
you know, if we don't understand, if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. We can't just do it. But a lot of the times that gets us called troublemakers or you're insubordinate or you're ungrateful to be in this position if you won't do it without questioning. And that's just so damaging but our society, starting from when we're in school, and even and I, and this is something that I get, that I say that makes some people upset. But even before school and how people raise their kids, it's very authoritarian because I said so. Why mm-hmm. do Why do I have to do this, mommy? Because I said so. Like we're not people who are going to grow up and still have the question of why. Yeah. And then you go to school and your teachers put you into this program, and if you don't do it, then you're a troublemaker. This, that, and the other, and it's like. Literally from birth, we're raised to just be these compliance machines. And the way our brains work, they don't allow us to do that without us experiencing distress ourselves or becoming distressing or distracting to other people. Yeah, not to mention the pathological demand avoidance that sometimes hits me. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Oh, you're triggering a lot of my big button issues. Like the um (laughs) I'm also an abolitionist. I so growing up religious, I my mom just shared something on Facebook and I love my mom. I am like my personality split between my dad and my mom. I'm probably like 80% my mom. So like, I, I just really (laughs) adore her, but she shares things on Facebook all the time, like Bible verses. I don't remember what she shared the other day, but it was about like, you know, getting free of punishment or like it punishment was the lines. And my like vision for a perfect society is individuals who are intelligent, who are curious, who are critical thinkers, who question things, who avoid harming each other. And when we do harm each other, we try to repair the harm and learn from it and not harm people in those same ways again. So for me, punishment doesn't accomplish that. Being punished teaches us to be compliant just to avoid punishment. And it only teaches us to be compliant to avoid punishment. Because if you think about like things that you weren't allowed to do that your parents would punish you for, it's not that I learned not to do those things. It's that I learned not to let them know that I was doing those things just to avoid yes. the punishment. And so we built a society around punishing people and it, and it's not about avoiding harm. People who are being punished are being harmed for harm that they committed. And that doesn't, help victims of the harm either like they're not healing they're not growing they're not um like healing from that trauma just because the person that committed that harm is being punished and so like it it drives me nuts that like to a smaller degree like not about the like (laughs) you know the like our whole criminal punishment system but like in the corporate environment it's kind of the same like the punishments that we get are like damages to our reputation or I don't know, you don't get assigned like, like fun work to do or Mm -hmm. what have you, like people just learn to avoid the punishment and like kind of navigate the system to get the things that they want. But we're not, it's so surface level to me. It's not authentic. Like we're just operating up here and we need to be like in the weeds. Like I, I want a system that functions well not one that looks like it functions well. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And the funny thing, well, not funny, but the crazy thing is our system functions perfectly for the way it's designed. Mm -hmm. But the way it's designed does not function for or function well for the majority of people. So to your previous point, the, the system is designed or rigged around us having this idea that if you do X, Y, and Z, if you work hard, if you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, For 30, 40 years, eventually you'll be a CEO or if you're not a CEO, you'll be able to retire with all these benefits and live a good life. But the majority, the the truth is the majority of people will not have that be the outcome because of the odds. There can't Mm -hmm. be 7 billion CEOs, right? So um, dang, I'm so mad that I I have, I hate when I have two thoughts in my head at the same time and they collide and then I forget exactly the point that I was going to make. but. With me bringing that that point up, so um, dang, what was I saying? Now I really lost my train of thought. <laughs> when you have two conflicting thoughts or two thoughts, yeah, at the but same I was talking. I know I had brought up like the hierarchy and um, the system functions for some people. Yes, okay, so it, like it functions it, as it's designed. 
Yes, the system like that. I, I'm sure you heard it was like, well, the system's not the system is fixed. It's fixed. It's right. not because it's working the way that it's it's designed to work. Um, but yeah, because we literally like are it's ingrained in us, this capitalistic like ideal that there are so many people, even neurodivergent people, because I was one of those people before I understood what was going on who like blindly buy into it and don't even question it because it's like, well, this is how it is. Um, and I, I'm so glad that we are having these kind of conversations because I don't think people understand how much everybody suffers under this, whether you're neurodivergent or not, the system that we currently live under, it does not benefit anybody other than the very, very few at the top. And, and then the chances of any of us becoming those very few at the top minuscule. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw a meme the other day that was like a uh, new show idea hoarders, but instead of like people hoarding belongings, we just interview people like wealthy people that are hoarding wealth that could like <laughs> eliminate suffering and ask them why yes. they're doing that. <laughs> we should call it um, dragons. Yeah. <laughs> they're dragons. Totally. They're hoarding all the gold. Um, but yeah, no, like I swear. There's another thing that I wanted to bring up, too, that you brought up as well. And this is something that we started to talk on or touch on last week. Mm -hmm. um, religion. Um, just as a quick background on me, I grew up um, Christian. And we didn't go to church all the time. But we, we were kind of like, you know, Christmas, Easter, um, uh -huh. go to church. But we celebrated all of the um, all the major Christian holidays. And um culturally we were christian more than religiously so like with being black and christian there's a lot of um homophobia there's a lot of um distrust of medical systems but especially when it comes to mental health so that a lot contributed to me not understanding my neurodivergence very early in my life. And at a time in my 20s, when I became really depressed, I was suicidal. Um, I didn't think that I had a purpose. I turned to church. I joined a church and um, I even joined the ministry. I like served on the hospitality ministry and all that. And that actually was my first. Now that I look back when I didn't realize it at the time, I didn't have the language for it at the time, but I understand it now. That was my first foray into understanding hierarchical systems. Mm. I was completely turned off by the church once I became an active member of it. And I saw they treated the pastors like celebrities. And then if you were the first lady, you were kind of a celebrity too. And then if you were the leader of the ministry, it was like this hierarchy thing. And then like, even though there were some people I didn't like, like or gravitate toward as like someone that I would actually hang out with I was expected to do certain things for them or to be enamored by them in some kind of way and that really was the catalyst that sent me out the door because I would hear about the the gospel of Jesus Christ and there are a lot of things about like his teachings like the root of it outside of the culture that makes sense and are you know makes sense for us being compassionate to each other. But I was like, this is counterintuitive or contradictory to how you guys act, even within the church. Mm -hmm. So like for me, ever since then, I kind of left organized religion behind. I still believe in spirituality to a level in regards to us all being kind of connected and all us of us having, even though there's no universal experience, there's a, a universal force. We're all human. We're all this, that, and the other. But I don't believe in organized religion because to me, organized religion is just another government. It's just another hierarchy. It's just another corporate structure. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially when you looked at how look at how organized religion has been used in like colonialism and like to literally oppress people. Yes. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought up colonialism because what one thing, and I I really wish that I could remember who said this because I want to credit them, but someone on TikTok said that they don't use the term white supremacy anymore. They use the colonial mindset. Mm. And I like that because what I feel like white supremacy has become is what I'm afraid neurodivergence will come and follow me on this, right? It's like a catch-all term, right? 
there are but 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 because of how it's been used it's lost its like original meaning and it also doesn't fully encompass what's actually going on so like yeah i am a neurodivergent person but that's too broad of a term and it doesn't fully encompass what i'm saying white supremacy kind of sounds like it excludes white people from being victims but it doesn't like there are so many like unless you are a affluent cishet white male white supremacy doesn't benefit you in any way if you diverge from that very narrow way of being you are also a a victim of the colonial mindset which is predicated on perfectionism capitalism all of the isms (laughs) yeah I love that, like, reframing, because I think a lot of people who do want change kind of lack the imagination to see what change could be. Like, they picture the same system, but just with different people in power. But that's mm. the same system. Like, it, it, if things were flipped, you know, and, like, people who are now marginalized had the power, I think a lot of, in like, just to digress quickly, I think a lot of white people are afraid that if the situation were reverse, they're kind of afraid of like being enslaved by angry black people. Um, But I don't think anyone wants that. That's the thing. Like it's a lack of imagination and seeing that there could be something else that works in a completely different way that can work for all of us. I don't know what that thing is. I'm not an economist. I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist, but there has to be something, right? I have imagination. Yeah. I can see that what we have now is not working and just like flipping it on its head and like having the same system wearing like different clothes is not going to change it. It's still the same system. <laughs> um, which kind of leads me to, I have been writing notes because I didn't want to like lose thoughts. Um, I know you love pattern <laughs> recognition. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something like a lot of people kind of lack the imagination and the pattern recognition to see like what you're proposing actually is the same thing. Like you think it sounds different, but it follows that same pattern. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So like, oh, fun. <laughs> no, but you know, that's so funny that you bring that up because earlier you were talking about how um, people would kind of jokingly say, oh, you may be aspy because you have this very black and white way of thinking. But that's kind of what neurotypicals do because they are like, this, like everything is prescripted. Everything is assumed. So they assume it's only X, Y, and Z. What I thought of while you were saying that was um, in 2016 when Bernie Sanders was running for president, Everybody kept saying that he was crazy and he was this, that, and the other simply because he was proposing things that were outside of the binary that we were already used to. Mm-hmm. But the reason why he was such a threat and the reason why everyone came, well, you know, both sides came together to quash him was because he was asking the question of why are we doing things this way and then answering it by saying we don't have to do it this way just because it was done x y and z and everyone called him crazy and they were like oh crazy bernie he's trying to do something impossible that's because it hasn't been done before it doesn't mean it's impossible it just means that like you said you lack the imagination you lack the capacity to see beyond the construct the way that it is and I, I, you know, yes, there are some people out there with very fringe beliefs that are based off of nothing, but I would say most people who have these, you know, theories or, or um, challenges to the status quo are not these crazy crackpots that people are saying we are, but rather we have the ability to connect the dots, see that what you're proposing is just a, you know, same shit, different toilet. (laughs) (laughs) And we're proposing something that actually would work if you would like rub two brain cells together for two seconds and just like have a little bit of imagination. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And imagine what we could accomplish if we were like open-minded and like, you know, humored people's imaginations. We'll take a little bit of your imagination and put it with this other idea here. Like, and when you said like white supremacy paints white people as like not harmed by it i have to tell you like my entire life i mean and this kind of comes from my neurodivergence too is feeling like on the fringe or never part of like i long for community and i feel like like kind of white supremacy capitalism like that's robbed us of community a lot of us especially white folks who 
really focus on that. If you work hard, you know, you climb the corporate ladder, you'll reach the top someday. It's very individualistic. It's very, Mm -hmm. I achieved this by myself. And nobody achieves anything on their own. We just like choose which help we, you know, recognize. Like my parents don't have any money. And so like someone my age who has a college degree and they like worked their way up and never borrowed anything from their parents. Sure. But like, do you, did you go into college with debt already before your student loans? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, Just like it, you know, we all have value. And I just wish that we lived in a place where we took care of each other beyond like, you know, people who beyond their relationship to me, because I feel like a lot of people and this, I have been thinking a lot about this ever since I saw that meme about the (laughs) hoarders, about people who are hoarding wealth, because like people hoard wealth because they want to take care of their families. They want to leave legacies for their families. But like, why does someone have to be related to you to be cared for by you? You know, like if, and we could all win this like zero sum mentality of white supremacy too, that like drives individualism like for me to win someone else has to lose and that is ridiculous there's enough out there for all of us absolutely and that false like dichotomy of well if i want to win someone else has to lose keeps us fighting each other and not realizing that we're doing the work of our oppressors for them Mm -hmm. because if we keep focusing on the ways that we're different people are infinitely different And all of those things don't really matter as much as the ways that we're all the same. We all need food. We all need shelter. We all need community and a place of belonging. That's it. And those are the most important things. Everything else about us, the ways that we're different, all that does is make the tapestry of humanity more beautiful and allows you to find your tribe, whether they look like you or not. But it doesn't, at the end of the day, mean anything. How you worship, if you worship, uh, how you vote, who you love, none of those things matter at an intrinsic level, but we're so focused on them that literally wars are started over people's beliefs. Mm-hmm. And we're and we continue to fight. And then when by doing that, we take our eye off of the real issue here is that we're all being disadvantaged in the same way. We're all fighting like there's the scarcity mindset, like there's not enough out there for us and the individualism and this need to prove that I am a worthier person. I'm more because I have more. All of that keeps us from actually living to our fullest potential. And then we idolize these people who were able to abuse the system enough to get a, a, a place in it and not realizing that we're lauding someone who's in that position because we're not. Yeah. Yeah. And because they are in that position, we have convinced ourselves we might get there too someday. (laughs) Oh, well, I apologize if I turned this into a social justice podcast, (laughs) but like those are my, it goes back to the pattern recognition. Like once you see these things in play, like I fucking see them everywhere. I can't, like stop seeing capitalism (laughs) wherever (laughs) I look. Um, But I do want to say, like I told you, I was nervous a little bit before the podcast just because of like my own insecurities or whatever, but it is so energizing to talk with people who like, you don't have to like, I just feel like you get me (laughs) and I get you and we, I don't know. And that is what convinces me. Like I told you, I had a friend who's really questioning my, the validity of my self-diagnosis, but Mm -hmm. it's so affirming when I spend time with other neurodivergent people. I'm like, this is energizing. I feel like you are my people. Um, And so thank you so much for inviting me and having me on the show and just chatting with me. It's been so fun. Absolutely. Well, ah, that warms my heart. I'm sitting over here like, oh, (laughs) And I, t- I totally agree with you, too. Like, I um I don't really like talking to most people because it's draining after like a few minutes. But that's kind of how I could recognize, like, mm, even if I didn't know you were autistic, I would probably figure it out by the end of the conversation because it's been it's been too easy to talk to you. <laughs> yes. And like listening to some of your past episodes, like I've been in tears, like just feeling so seen. Like, that is me. Like, I've never 
heard anybody say those words before or articulate so perfectly things that I have like privately thought, you know what I mean? Like it just is so freeing. It's refreshing. Uh It's affirming. I just love it. Me too. I love it too. This has been so fun. And I would love, I'm I'm gonna be chatting with you again soon. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Absolutely. But what I would like to do before we go is I'd like to give you an opportunity. Um, if you have any closing words or any like words of encouragement or anything that you like lessons learned, whatever you'd like to leave my audience with, here's your time. Here's your time. You know what? Um I would like to leave just on the self-diagnosis, like validity. That's what I want the main takeaway to be. I mean, the main takeaway is like stop capitalism and use your imagination and come up with something better and just communicate directly. But, you know, if you have listeners that are like relating to things that we're talking about and are worried about self-diagnosis, it totally is valid. Like no one understands your brain better than you. And I, through TikTok and actually one of the most like important TikToks to me that I saw was there's a student um, at Columbia who kind of talked through the DSM, um, like the diagnostic criteria for autism Mm -hmm. and provided like real world examples of what that might look like for you if you're not, you know, a straight white boy who likes trains. Um, And like, it was so helpful in every single one. I was like, yep, no, that fits me. Yes, that fits me. And I one time commented on one of her videos asking like, how common is it for people to kind of identify as autistic and find out that they don't meet their criteria? And she was a little like hesitant to answer because she was worried that I was like maybe coming after people. Um, And so I explained like I was asking for myself and she was like, that never happens. People yeah. who diagnose themselves, if you think you're autistic, you are probably autistic. Um, and it's just like we suffer so much from the limited representation, from just seeing ourselves in such a narrow scope. It We're everywhere and we are diverse. Some of us struggle with things that others don't. Um, like I have mentioned, like, sensory issues have been a big thing like loud spaces bright spaces i have a hard time but not everybody does and it i don't know just trust yourself that's that's what i'm learning as i'm unmasking it's being confident and you know i've there are people that i've wanted in my life maybe not um you know people that i have been attracted to or wanted to be friends with me that kind of i felt rejected by once they kind of got to know who I was, if if I can let go of those people and just be myself and attract the people who are attracted to the myself that I'm being authentically, like mm-hmm. those are the meaningful relationships. Those are a lot more fulfilling than the ones that I kind of yearned for that maybe weren't right. So self-diagnosis is valid. Fuck capitalism. Amen. And amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Thank you again so much, Steven. I love speaking with you. And thank you guys so much for joining. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next time.